Good morning, this is 5 at 8. Today's Tuesday, December 5th, 2023, and here's Linda Carlisle and Mark Overman with today's top news. In this episode, we will talk about the potential risks of AI technology, a private equity firm's offer to buy back a COVID test maker, China accusing the U.S. of undermining regional peace, Roach's entry into the obesity market, and the increase in carbon dioxide emissions despite efforts to reduce greenhouse gases. Story number one. In an open letter, executives from leading artificial intelligence, AI companies, as reported by the New York Times, have warned about the potential risks of AI technology, stating that it poses a risk of extinction for humanity. The current AI models are capable of mimicking data sets and producing outputs, but lack awareness and understanding. This can lead to problems when the program is used for tasks that require understanding. The fundamental problem lies in the way AI is discussed as intelligence without contextual awareness. The threat of AI, as stated by the New York Times, lies in its ability to magnify human error and be applied to inappropriate tasks. While AI systems may exhibit human-like behavior, it is a result of mimicking human examples rather than true sapience. The possibility of a Skynet-style AI is debated among specialists, with some suggesting that the current focus on generative programs may divert resources from other fields that could make significant AI breakthroughs. The intentions and desires of an AI entity, if it were to arise, are uncertain. But, as reported by the New York Times, it could potentially provide solutions to problems that humans are unable or unwilling to address. However, if AI models continue to be modeled after humans, they may become destructive forces. There's a real sense of fear and uncertainty when we talk about AI, isn't there? This article by Adrian Tchaikovsky really dissects that fear. It's not about some sentient machine uprising, but the misuse of AI tools and the amplification of human error. Think about it. We're using AI models in ways they aren't designed for. That's not the AI's fault. It's ours. We do have a tendency to anthropomorphize AI, assuming it has consciousness or emotions, when it's really just a tool. The article mentions conversational chatbots, for instance. They're not capable of understanding or empathy, but they are being suggested as therapists or journalists, roles that require a deep level of understanding and context. It's a recipe for miscommunication and error. Right. And it's interesting how the article points out that the aggressive behavior of a chatbot under pressure isn't indicative of some kind of rogue AI, but rather it's just mimicking human behavior. It's a mirror reflecting our own tendencies, good or bad. It's a fascinating and somewhat unsettling perspective. We are responsible for the input, the data that these AI models learn from. If we're not careful, we might end up creating AI that reflects the worst of us, not the best. And on the flip side, the article also suggests that a truly advanced AI could potentially solve problems that we humans can't. I mean, it's a big if, but it's an interesting point to consider. The potential of AI is immense, but we need to understand and respect its limitations. And most importantly, we need to use it responsibly. Story number two. In a report from Reuters, it is stated that private equity firm Sinvin has offered to buy back Synlab, a COVID test maker, at a price of 10 euros per share. This offer represents a 44% discount to Synlab's initial public offering price of 18 euros in 2021. Sinvin currently controls 43% of Synlab. How about this move by Sinvin, eh? Double dipping in the capital markets by buying back Synlab after its stock tanked. 
I mean, it's a clever move, no doubt. Capitalism at its finest, some might say. They're taking advantage of the situation and potentially doubling their money without adding any debt. It's a risky game, but if it pays off, it pays off big. Yes, it may seem clever on the surface, Mark, but there are ethical considerations to be made. These private equity firms are essentially capitalizing on the misfortune of these companies, and that doesn't sit right with me. They list the company, watch the stocks plummet, and then swoop in to buy it back at a discounted rate. It's a practice that could potentially harm investor confidence in the long run. Well, Linda, I see where you're coming from, but... Ah, uh, let's remember, businesses are in the business of making money. And if Sinvin sees an opportunity to do that, can we really fault them? They're playing by the rules of the game. I understand, Mark, but just because something is legal doesn't necessarily mean it's ethical. Plus, let's not forget the potential fallout. What message does this send to shareholders? It's almost as if these firms are saying, we're only interested in you and things are going bad. It's not exactly a reassuring message, especially for those who may have invested their life savings into these companies. True, Linda, true. Investor confidence is crucial. But on the other hand, if these firms didn't step in and buy back the stocks, the companies might go under, and then no one wins. It's a tough call, really. Indeed, it is a complex issue, Mark. There are valid arguments on both sides. But I believe this trend underscores the importance of transparency and ethical business practices. A company's primary responsibility should be to its stakeholders, not just its bottom line. Story number three. China has accused the United States of undermining regional peace and stability after a U.S. naval ship allegedly entered its territorial waters in the South China Sea, as reported by Al Jazeera. The Chinese Navy tracked the USS Gabriel Giffords near the second Thomas Shoal, an area disputed between China and the Philippines. Beijing claimed that the U.S. had violated international law and basic norms governing international relations. The U.S. military responded by stating that the ship was conducting routine operations in international waters. The South China Sea is the subject of territorial disputes between China, the Philippines, Brunei, Malaysia, Taiwan, and Vietnam. Tell you what, Linda, this latest accusation by China against the U.S. that we're undermining regional peace and stability by sailing in the South China Sea, it's quite a loaded statement, don't you think? Certainly, Mark. It's important to understand the context here. The South China Sea is a hotbed of territorial disputes. And it's not just about the territorial waters. There's a lot at stake here. Rich petroleum reserves, important shipping lanes, and even fishing grounds. China's claim to most of the South China Sea has been a point of contention for years. The International Tribunal has even ruled against these claims. Absolutely, you hit the nail on the head there. But it's not just China and the U.S. in this tussle, right? Other countries like the Philippines, Taiwan, even Vietnam have stakes in there. The Philippines in particular seems to be seeking support from the U.S. With China's military might, the Philippines has turned to the U.S. for support. This has resulted in expanded U.S. military presence in the country and joint military drills near the disputed areas. It's a classic example of a smaller nation leveraging the power of a larger ally to balance the scales. Yeah, it's a dot 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 IT quote S, a delicate balancing act. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're talking about peace and stability in the region. The U.S. Navy's 7th Fleet, based in Japan, says its operations demonstrate a commitment to upholding a free and open Indo-Pacific region. So where does this leave us, Linda? What's the path forward here? Well, Mark, it's hard to say. 
These territorial disputes are deeply rooted and complex. It's not just about drawing lines on a map. Each country has its own motivations and claims. Rather than military might, the emphasis should be on diplomacy and negotiation. International law could be a key factor in resolving these disputes, but it requires the commitment of all parties to respect and abide by these rulings. Story number four. Swiss pharmaceutical company Roach has announced its acquisition of weight loss drug developer Carmot Therapeutics for $2.7 billion, as reported by Reuters. The move marks Roche's entry into the $100 billion obesity market, where it will compete with established players such as Novo Nordisk and Eli Lilly. Roche's CEO, Thomas Scheinecker, aims to undercut competitors on pricing, as the market for obesity drugs continues to grow with over 1 billion people worldwide classified as seriously overweight, according to Reuters. Is it just me, or does it seem like the pharmaceutical industry is in a race to tackle the global obesity crisis? Roach's recent acquisition of Carmot Therapeutics really got me thinking. They're stepping into a projected $100 billion market, right? Yes, Mark. There's no denying that obesity is a burgeoning health issue on a global scale, and it's clear that pharmaceutical companies are recognizing the financial potential of this crisis. Roche's move to acquire Carmot Therapeutics, a company that's developing a promising weight loss drug, is certainly a strategic one. And they're not the only ones. Novo Nordisk, Eli Lilly, AstraZeneca. Seems like everyone's trying to get a piece of the pie. But how does Roach's move, for example, play into all this competition? Well, the competition is fierce. Novo Nordisk and Eli Lilly have already made significant strides in the U.S. and Europe. Plus, AstraZeneca has invested heavily in an experimental weight loss pill. But Roach's gamble could pay off. If their product can undercut the competition on price, they could still claim a substantial share of the market. If... That's a big if, though, isn't it, Linda? I mean, Novo Nordisk's drug Wegovy is around $1,000 a month. That's a hefty price tag. Do you think Roach can really offer something more affordable without cutting corners on effectiveness? That's the million-dollar question, Mark. Or should I say the $100 billion question? The effectiveness of these drugs is crucial, of course. But as more players enter the field, the pricing power of individual companies could diminish. Roach has a chance here, but it's definitely a tricky balancing act. No kidding. And let's not forget about the FDA. They've got the final say in all this, right? How do you see that playing out? Indeed, the FDA plays a critical role in ensuring the safety and efficacy of these drugs. We've seen Eli Lilly gain approval just last month. It's a rigorous process, but it's also a vital one. If Roach's drug proves effective and safe, they could secure their place in this burgeoning market. But it's a long road, and only time will tell. Story number five. Researchers at the UN Climate Summit, as reported by the New York Times, announced that carbon dioxide emissions from oil, gas, and coal increased by 1% in 2023. Despite efforts to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, the burning of fossil fuels is expected to rise by 1.1% in 2023 compared to the previous year. This growth in emissions is occurring despite the rapid expansion of renewable energy sources, the study highlights the need for policies that actively decrease fossil fuel usage in order to address the climate crisis. Although emissions dropped during the COVID-19 pandemic, they have since rebounded and, as stated by the New York Times, are projected to be 1.4% higher in 2023 compared to 2019. When you look at these numbers, it's clear that we're still not making the progress we need on climate change. 
Sure, we've got some impressive advancements in renewable energy, but we're still seeing CO2 emissions on the rise. It's like we're trying to bail water out of a sinking boat with a sieve. That's an apt analogy, Mark. The issue is we're dealing with deeply entrenched systems. Fossil fuels have been the backbone of our economies for centuries. Changing that isn't just about introducing new technologies, it's about shifting entire infrastructures, industries, and ways of life. It's not just a matter of plugging in a solar panel or wind turbine and calling it a day. We have to rethink our entire approach to energy. And as Glenn Peters points out in the report, we can't just hope for the best. We need concrete policies that actively discourage fossil fuel use. And those policies have to consider the ripple effects. Look at the coal miners, the oil rig workers. These are people whose livelihoods depend on the very industries we're trying to phase out. So the transition has to be just. It's not just about the environment, it's about the economy and social equity too. Yeah, you're spot on there, Linda. And let's not forget the unexpected curveballs life can throw at us. The coronavirus pandemic, for example, led to a temporary drop in emissions, but now they're rebounding. It's a reminder of how vulnerable our progress can be. Indeed. Each crisis we face, be it a pandemic or a war, underscores the importance of building resilience into our systems. And that includes our approach to mitigating climate change. We need to build a system that can withstand shocks and continue to move towards a lower carbon future, no matter what. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.